This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Right, guys, welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. Fun episode tonight. We've got the author of the Phil book. So the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar, the Phil book. It's Alan Shitnuck. We're going to be asking him some questions about his book. Um, it's going to be a fun one. We've all read it. Lou's here with us and Greg Chalmers as well. So we'll share our opinions on it and hopefully get an understanding of the ideas behind the book and the inspiration. Should be a fun episode. Welcome, Alan. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, thanks for coming along. And welcome, Greg and Lou. You both doing okay there? Doing wonderful over here, mate. Looking forward to it. Thanks for yeah. uh, getting Alan on, Lou. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks for being here, Alan. Appreciate yeah. it. And I just want to put it out there. This is the first book I've read since I was about 17. So this is a <laughs> landmark. I'm not a book reader. I'm going to put that out there. So all my critiques or, 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 you know, positive or negative, taken with a pinch of salt because I'm not really, I, I'm more of a video guy, really. But um, I want to kick off the first question for you, Alan. I just want you to tell us a bit about the choices around making that book, the decision to make it. You know, does it come as a Phil fan? Does it come just as someone who thinks he's a really interesting character? Like you say in the title, Golf's Most Colourful Superstar. I think I, when I was listening to the book, you started this book many years ago. What was the inspiration apart from obviously Phil? We know, but, you know, what, what was the driving force for you to make this book? Yeah, I mean, my, my first season covering the PJ Tour was 1994, and that was Phil's second full year out there. So he was already one of the biggest stars. You know, he'd, he'd won a college, as a college undergrad, he'd won a tour event. And, you know, he was being billed as as the next, as really the future of American golf. And so... I was just drawn to him. We, he was only a couple of years older than me and uh, he was an incredibly charismatic performer on the golf course. We know that. And if you think about the mid nineties, a lot of the, the American stars, it was different personalities, right? It was like the plotters, the Lee Jansons and the Corey Pavins and the Marco Mears and the Tom Lehmans. I mean, Phil played the game in a different fashion. He was a much flashier personality and he was a trash talker even then and kind of a smart aleck. And he was just, it was just fun to watch him play golf. It was fun to talk to him. And so I've always sort of been drawn to Phil. Um, and like a lot of people, really, um, I was never, and I think Phil more than, than any real modern superstar understood that the, how, how to charm and cajole and manipulate the media and as, as a way for him to build his brand. But I think he also enjoyed the jousting of it. And, you know, there was some guys on the beat who would also cover it at the NFL. He'd pump them for, for nuggets of information he could use for his gambling. And he, he sort of let us in more than most golfers do. And so that was, um, that made it more, more fun. And even the people around him were agreeable, you know, when you go out and you're, you're watching a tournament, you don't have much access to the players. They're out there in the middle of the fairway. You're separated by ropes, but the swing coaches, the wives, the family members, um, the college buddies, they're the ones you can walk and talk with. And, you know, Tiger's an obvious example. Like those people were afraid to speak and 
uh, or, you know, his, his caddy, like Steve Williams, you know, his signature move is throwing a camera in a pond. You know, they were not very welcoming bunch. Phil, but Phil's people were chatty and they were fun and, and they were open. And so you could, you could get a lot of great information. So, um, you know, and help, help your storytelling. So I, it was always paid off to go out and watch Phil play golf and, and on a bunch of different levels. So, uh, I, I wasn't working on the book per se. I was just, but I was acquiring material without even knowing it. And I was on the scene for all of his greatest wins and his slapstick defeats. And I was, you know, through the swing coaches and, and, you know, the, some of the, some of the cast of characters changed, but they were, I was always kind of there. And um, it really was in 2012, me and my colleague, Michael Bamberger published a book called the swinger and um uh, it did pretty well as a, as a golf novel. And so I, I signed a deal with Simon Schuster for an unspecified golf book and didn't even know it was going to be, but I, I had a feeling Phil was going to be part of it in some way or another. And I was thinking of maybe following a handful of players across the season, or maybe, maybe pairing up, you know, kind of like a triple biography, maybe do a, a few different players up. But um, I was always drawn to Phil, like I said, and, um, and then he got more and more interesting. You know, there was, the, the whole thing with Tom Watson and the Ryder Cup intrigue, there was the insider trading scandal, there was smacking a moving putt at Shinnecock Hills, you know, that that was all in a compressed period there in the, in the mid-teens. And um, and so it was just like, and, and at the same time, dozens of Tiger biographies were being written, many of them mediocre. No one had ever done a fill book. <clears throat> it was like, to me, the most low-hanging fruit. So eventually in the pandemic hit and like everybody else, I was trapped at home, had nothing to do, couldn't really travel. So that's, I called my editor. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write this film book. And uh, it worked out to be good timing because people were home and bored. So I just went through my phone. I have a lot of players and caddies and agents and tour wives and, um, you know, swing coaches and you name it. And I just started calling them up and they had nothing better to do than to talk to me. So I, a lot of these interviews lasted for, you know, felt like forever. And, um, yeah. in a pretty compressed period of time, I had a lot of great information. So that it was, the book was, a, was a long time in its gestation, but the actual reporting and writing was, you know, didn't really start until the fall of uh, 2020. And I mean, would it come at the point, how much of it comes from the point as a fan? I can't work out if you're a fan or not, even from that answer. Do you see what I mean? Are you writing it? You're right. You're a golf fan, obviously. You follow golf, and I presume you're. Is it fair to say you're a golf fan? Like, is it you love golf, mm. or you more? It's your job. It's your industry, and it, it's what you do. Yeah, I, I love golf. Does that make sense? Never, yeah. You know, like, are you writing it as a fan of Phil, or are you writing it more as just an onlooker at Phil and want to share the experiences you've learned? Yeah, I love golf. I never call myself a fan. That's not my role. You know, yeah. I'm sort of a dispassionate observer. Um, so. Um, it, it, it comes as, as someone who's observed Phil for many years and tried to understand him in a way. And he's such as human beings, we all have our contradictions, right? With Phil, that's times a million. He's just such a complex person. He's had such a big life and, and he's just a big personality. And so even my own interactions with him, you know, I've, I've been, I felt his charm. He's tried to bully me. He's tried to, he's tried to cajole me and intimidate me and co-opt me. Like we've had our own ups and downs interpersonally. Um, and I've seen all the different, or not all, I've seen some of the different sides of, of Phil Mickelson. So the book was really an attempt to just understand this, this very mercurial figure um, and, and, you know, educate, entertain golf fans who I, you know, People in the game have always known that 
there's a divide between the public fill and the private fill. And I think this book is kind of a bridge and it connects these two, these two personas and these two personalities and, and these two lives in some ways. And so I felt I was a reporter. I felt like a private detective at times and felt like an anthropologist you know, there's, um, there was, there was a lot of different hats I had to wear and trying to unravel all these different mysteries, but, um, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Phil. I, I don't like that word, but I do like Phil. I've always enjoyed being around him. I think he's he's a fun character. Yeah, I don't um, mean as a person. I'm more more yeah. as a like I'm a fan of, let's say you know John Lennon, but I'm not particularly caring what he does outside of the songs he writes. I just want to know. I just want to know the songs mm-hmm. he writes and listen to them and learn yeah. them and enjoy them. So I'm a fan of John Lennon, but I don't judge him as a person particularly don't care you know like i'm a fan if i'm a fan of phil i don't really have an opinion much on his life outside of that for me personally because yeah. inside the industry i don't find it as interesting but yeah. i understand where the audience would um yeah. just it has no relevance do you play golf are you a, do you actually of course, play golf? Yeah. yeah 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 i didn't i could cry i'm not to play golf yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely so yeah. i mean you're you're a you're a journalist like you can't get the journalist out of you almost it's not about being a fan or not it's just an interesting story and you want to tell it almost it comes across as yeah that, that i mean fair? that's that's exactly it yeah yeah absolutely okay and then my second question then is how much of the book is based in fact compared to mythical story because obviously it's an unauthorized uh biography whatever we want that to mean i i enjoyed the book i really enjoyed the stories about his um, was it his granddad? Like his, his, it's things I didn't, I found that was really quite interesting is how he became to be the person we then know on the golf course. I find that very, very interesting. Um, but I did find some of the golf stories felt, I mean, I've been on tours and, and just spent time around players and caddies and what have you. And they're great at making these mythical stories. You know, I mean, there's loads over here about Seve and I'm a massive fan of Seve in full respect, but you speak to caddies, past caddies, I've taken on shots that he's done and stuff in videos. And they say he, he was here and no one would get over there. And it was an amazing <laughs> shot. And then we do it and I just get it over the wall. And I just think, well, like Greg would get it over there and 80% of the field would get it over there. Greg probably wouldn't hit it in that situation. So we would never get to see Greg do that. He not with my skill set, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, so how much of the book, that's yeah. not how much of the book do you feel is fact compared to these mythical stories? Because they definitely, there Embellish. are plenty of them on tours, aren't there? Because it's better to say, I hit it the two foot, lipped out 360 degrees and then went in and then saying I hit it the four foot and tapped it in, isn't it? Basically, you know, so what, 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 yeah. what's your feeling well, that- of that? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That was that was the challenge was to to unravel the 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 fact from fiction and that was some of the most fun reporting for me was to take these incidents I'd heard fragments of the story and to really drill down and get you know the truth like for instance you know the 1990 US amateur um, there's this famous 
I'd heard the story many times that, that Phil conceded this putt on the first hole against this guy, Jeff Thomas, but I never knew the details and I never knew if it was true. And I actually got Jeff Thomas's caddy on the phone and he, you know, he was one of the few people who would really know the truth and talk to other players that were in that field and reporters who covered that tournament and to bring to life this mythology and, and examine it. And, and that was really fun. You know, the 1991 Walker cup where, where Phil goes over to Ireland and, and calls Irish women ugly and, you know, in, in this, in this TV interview and that sets off this whole firestorm and becomes an actual international incident where he's the, the team bus pulls over. So Phil can disembark and film an apology being demanded by the consulate. I mean, like that stuff was hilarious to me. And it was, it was like being an archeologist, you know, excavating all, all these old remnants of uh, golf tournaments. And, but you go to the people who were there and they, now they're, human memory can be flawed and but if you talk to enough of the people who were who were direct witnesses you can you can really capture the uh, what really happened so you know going to the tournament that phil won as an undergraduate uh when he was you know at, at university at arizona state like again like i knew he won a tournament when he was in college i had no idea like how dramatic he triple bogeys the you know whatever the 14th hole on sunday and then he has to birdie two of the last three holes to win it and you know you talking to Tom Pertzer, who him and Bob Tway thought they might be in a playoff. They're standing next to the green and Phil buries his putt to beat him. And, um, you know, him and Tway just shake hands and kind of walk off like that. I thought that was a great moment. And so you go to the principles involved and, and you can explode some of these myths and you can bring different layers of, of context and reporting to them. So that like Wingfoot, you know, okay. We all remember Phil screwed up the last hole at Wingfoot. Right. But and I happened to be standing right there when it all went down, but it, that's some of my favorite stuff in the book is that, that passage. And so you get, I went to all these guys who'd won us opens, you know, Johnny Miller, Andy North, uh, Hale Irwin, Jack Nicholas, and to have get their analysis of what should or should not have happened, what did or did not happen and get inside Phil's head, you know, get quotes from bones um, from archives and, um, from Jeff Ogilvie. And so now it's like, okay, everyone, everyone knows Phil messed up the last hole at Wingfoot, but to, to really add context, that whole round, that whole week, um, and, and all that, and having the the perspective and, and the, the years have passed. And, you know, we now kind of have more, more context. Like that was a really fun challenge. And I try to do that all through the book because as, as you, you're, you're right, that there things get exaggerated and, and, it gets, you know, fact becomes myth. And so that's the biographer's role is to, to go back and really examine it. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll say, I mean, it's basically in your mind, it's as much factual as you can get without Phil basically officially taking part and it's, as, you'll dig in as deep as you can in your mind is what you're saying, basically. Yeah. And even, even though Phil turned me down three times to do interviews for the book and then he wound up calling me at the very last minute, I mean, there's a Phil's voice is in here a lot because you know there's there's all the interview transcripts. I, I mean, I read thousands of interview transcripts, and we have talked many times through the years. And I, he did he was on my podcast, and we talked for over an hour. And you know, I was able to pull up a lot of that material. Um, and so, you know, even Phil's voice runs throughout this whole book, um, thanks to all kinds of different you know source materials. Yeah. 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 Okay. Lou, I think you've got a question. Uh, Lou? Greg had his hand up. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like he called you. Is that how it went, Alan? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so I, 
I approached Phil at Harding Park. Um, so that's, you know, fall of 2020 when the, the delay, the COVID delayed PGA championship. That's when I first told him I was doing the book. And it was hard because the we weren't the reporters weren't in the bubble and, and the players were. So we we're kind of talking like 10 feet away. And um, and his first reaction was, oh, cool. Um, and and I said, I decided I want to talk to you. You know, let's can we sit and do some interviews? And he's kind of edging away. He's like, all right, we'll talk about it. like it was kind of funny. Like his his first reaction was, oh, cool. And then I went back to him at Torrey Pines in 21. And he's like, and he said, and this is actually a funny line. He said, you know, I'm 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 flattered you're doing it, but I'm nervous because it's you. I was like, yeah, put it on my tombstone. I mean, that, you know, I think Phil knew that I was going to tell the complete story and I wasn't there to be a fan. It was not going to be hagiography. I mean, it was going to have real reporting and it was going to be comprehensive. Look, and do, do you do you think he trusted you? That's a good, that's an interesting question. I mean, we've had our ups and downs through the years. I think that he was just worried because Phil knows there's been a lot of messiness in his life and a lot of controversy. And uh, I think he was a little afraid of what I would find. And so I, I went, I went back to one more time at, um, at Pebble Beats in 21. And so th then that's when he finally said he wasn't going to do the interviews. And um, so it was a five month period, you know, we talked three times and, um, and he, he was really concerned about this idea of whether or not the book would be authorized versus unauthorized um, to the point he was, that was his number one thing. I said, well, um, you know, it's, it's a very fine line, really, even, even unauthorized biography, sometimes the subject will speak to the, the, the writer. It's just how, how much and how deep you want to go. Uh, I said, but I'm already talking to your, your college buddies and your family and your swing coaches. Like I'm, I'm talking to everyone around you. Like, I think that if you were to, to give your, your side to every story, it'd be beneficial to you. And, you know, I said, you know, Nicholas and Palmer, they, they sat with all their biographers for hours because they saw the value in, in sort of burnishing their legend and, and telling their, putting their spin on everything. Um, but ultimately Phil, you know, he said he didn't want to do that. And so that was fine. I, you know, I'd, as I lay out in the book, I'd had so much access to Phil through the years. I didn't really need him. Um, and so I spent the next, you know, 11, 10, 11 months working on the book. And then um, October of 2021, I got a call from Phil's lawyer. And this is all in the book. This, this guy down in Florida is like right out of a Carl Hyacinth novel. He's just really colorful character. And, and he said, um, you know, we're, Phil's gearing up to take on the tour and he's trying to get, take possession of his media rights. And he wants to be able to mint NFTs and all these things. And we want to hire you, you know, to be a consultant because I'd, I'd written about some of the stuff in the past, which is a really weird offer. I mean, I'm writing a book about Phil. I cannot take Phil's money. And I said that, and I, I said no right away, but it kind of tells you their headspace. You know, Phil never opens his mouth without an agenda and he's a master manipulator of the media. And the fact that they would try and sort of buy me off, that's how it felt to me. Um, was really weird and um but well, just so i don't mean to interrupt there but i yeah. always, because you kind of say that in the book as well like about master manipulator and that he like open his voice without an agenda i don't think any brand would open their voice without an agenda would they i mean coke are not just gonna i'm not gonna phone coca-cola up now and they're gonna just have a chat with me about whatever we want to chat about well that, i mean that's a nameless uh, faceless Phil's, corporation i'm talking about yeah, but phil's a brand isn't he phil yeah. phil's a brand i see him as a Golf brand. Also, also, isn't the media kind of pretty good at manipulation too? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the other point Perhaps. I was going to get to. Like, there be, may, would there not be some reason for there to be that barrier there? But, yeah. I mean, that, I, I just think it's interesting because you say that when I hear that in the book, and I don't correct me if I'm wrong, I hear that as it comes across quite negative, almost like it's not right that he's like that. I mean, Tiger's Tiger doesn't say anything unless right. it's pre-calculated because his brand is worth too much. Th- these guys... Yeah don't owe us anything personally we watch what they do and perform and enjoy it and then it's up to them to carve maybe what they want the public to see because they, they're entitled to a private life as well to a certain extent possibly i don't know what, what do you think well i mean manipulator it, there, could, there could be an there's an element of celebrating it i mean he's crafty he's good at it so it's it's not it's not a fully negative critique it's it's an acknowledgement that he's very crafty and he's very clever and you know, and I think he knows how to play the game. Could be maybe, he's, maybe he's doing a job, possibly as well. That's like I, sure. that's what I would say. He's doing his job. His job on the course is to perform, and off the course, it's to give you the part of Philly wants to give you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, but I think authenticity. Or do we deserve also, more? Maybe we do. I don't know. Like, do we? Yeah, I, mean, I think authenticity. I think authenticity is appreciated and valued. And you know, if you're if you're too coached and if everything comes with an agenda, then you're, that, that you're lacking a certain humanity. So, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. That for sure. That um, you know, people often when when they're speaking publicly, they 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 have something they're they're trying to sell subtly or not and um so that that that's it's interviews can be very transactional and so can press conference and all that but i think if if you watch roy mcelroy or jordan spieth i would say they're they 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 speak from the heart you know they're 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 very open and they're celebrated for that i mean that's that's rory's brand is is a truth teller and as an ambassador of the game and really is the conscience of the game now and it's because well, just to put that into context though when i did an interview with rory mcelroy he had some headphones because he was sponsored by them and he had to wear them and he didn't when we started the interview he said his manager said you need to put them on he said what you want me to put them on like over his ears i'm just about to talk them up that looks stupid he said no no just around your neck he was manipulating that part of that interview that interview he was honest in his opinions of his we talked about the um olympics back then and how he was he would never really play the olympics it's didn't shouldn't be in golf it's not really a place which he then backtracked on because he played the olympics so like his honesty there was was arguably he'd be better off being a brand in that point but he was <laughs> certainly being a brand with what he was hanging around his neck and what clothes he was wearing he was manipulating the interview to his brand and his business there as much as the next person i mean it, there's always a level of manipulation even in this conversation now, isn't there? We're, you know, we've, we've all got some kind of agenda. You want to talk about the book. We want to talk about our feelings of the book. Um, I don't know. I just, I find that one interesting. I, I don't see that as a negative personally, but I understand why people would, because they want honesty from, I understand why people want everyone to be like Rory. I don't think it works, but I get why they want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know, no, it's, it's an, it's an interesting point. Um, yeah. I mean, 
I wonder if Rory would still put the headphones around his neck now. I think he might just tell his manager, uh, toss off. Like, I don't know. I think he's to the point now he doesn't want to play that game anymore. But, um, you know, we all have we all have our, our masters to please. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Lou, did you have a question? Uh, yeah, a few. So I have to go right to the uh, the call with Phil. Like, how did that transpire? Did, did he... Did he just call you up out of the blue? Did, right. did he so, reach out a week in advance? What happened? Right. So the the lawyer makes this offer. We we kind of lost the thread there, and I turn it down. But it opens up this dialogue, and I said, you know, well, if <laughs> I would still like to talk to Phil for this book, I mean, I'm I'm on, I'm getting close to the end, but my desire to speak to him has not waned. He said, I'll try and make it happen. So then he comes back to me and says, okay, Phil's going to talk to you. We're working on the dates. And then he says, well, I got overruled by Phil's, you know, uh, agent. This is a very overprotective Steve Loy. And so the trail kind of went cold and I was like, okay, well, I'm here. Um, I kept working on the book. And then right. Well, so it was right before Thanksgiving, you know, Phil texts me and says, can we talk? I was like, yes, of course. I've been dying to talk to you for, you know, a year and a half, as you know. So that and it was funny because he had changed numbers, you know, whatever number I was, Phil's every time I've corresponded with Phil, he has a new number. And so he texted me, he said, Hey, this Phil, you know, it didn't come up in my directory. And he said, um, you know, can we talk? I said, yeah, of course. He said, I know you, you spoke to my attorney and so I want to, I want to talk about these issues, you know, the tour, media rights, all that. And I don't want to get into other stuff for the book. I said, well, okay. I mean, it wouldn't have been my, my first choice. It seemed like kind of boring. Right. Like, I don't really care about NFTs and those things, but that was, that was what Phil wanted to talk about. I wasn't going to say no. I mean, I've been trying to get him. So, so then he called me, um, it was the Sunday I was driving home from the wishbone brawl, a little charity event down in, in Oceanside, California. I was on I-5 and he just, he just rang me up. So I actually pulled over and had my daughter drive and I just, so I could focus on the conversation. Great. Um, so I have to ask about the, the, the bombshell excerpt the one that was released back in February. What, and it's interesting that your daughter was in the car. Uh, I'm not going to ask how old she was, but I wonder if Phil knew that and 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 he said those things and knowing she could hear perhaps. Um, but uh, what was your response when he said um, the excerpt that you ended up releasing back in February? What did you say back to him? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was impressed by his candor, you know, the, um, everyone goes to Saudi Arabia and takes their money. I mean, a lot of golfers have been doing it for a long time, but there's, you know, there's a script and you say, Oh, I'm just trying to grow the game. And uh, I'm, I'm just an athlete, not a politician. And everyone rolls their eyes. We know you're there just for the money. Like, but if you stay on script, you can get away with it. And so I was impressed that Phil went off script and he was actually being real and he was being honest. Um, and I mean, in the moment, I knew that it was it was pretty juicy stuff, um, but it, the conversation just kept going. I mean, he was taught he was he was into it. You know, this stuff had been like you could tell it was like it was bubbling up out of him. Like he'd been thinking about this for a while, and he had he had some things that he wanted to get off his chest. So it was it was a pretty um, there was energy, you know, in in his words and in his voice and. Um, so I was just sort of taking it all in. Um, I didn't say much. I was just letting him go. You know, when I've done a lot of interviews and when, when someone has a lot to say and they're fired up, I don't want to get in the way. I just listen. 
Got it. Um, and so the what's tell us the story about how that quote was uh, the one that was selected in February that was released because that was you had to know that was going to just explode. So what's the story behind releasing it at that point in time? Yeah, so the book was due December 1st. So like I was pretty much done with the book at that point when Phil called and I'd sort of given up on the idea he was ever going to call me because it'd been, you know, for five or six weeks, we'd, I've been going back and forth with the lawyer. And so um, obviously rewrote the last chapter and, and included all that stuff. And I really wasn't sure how to handle the Saudi stuff because, you know, there's a long lead time from the book was always going to come out May 17th, which was, you know, the week of the PGA championship. That was when the last putt dropped at the ocean course, the book was going to come out, you know, the week of the PGA a year later, it was just too obvious a, a, a hook. So, you know, this is now November. It wasn't clear how the Saudi stuff was going to play out. And so I really, it, in, it was just, it was, uh, there was a few passing references until we had that phone call. So all that goes in the book. I turn it into the publisher. We're going through the edits and the Saudi stuff is still percolating. And now, now it's turning into a low, a low roar. And I'm hearing from agents and players like this is about to pop. They're going to announce. And um, so this is now early February. And the biggest question for over a year in all this is like, what does Phil want? Like we knew he was at the center of everything. And it was, it was, he was clearly working both sides of the street by negotiating with the Saudis and the PGA tour, but it was all done in the shadows. And what was his end game and what were his goals? Nobody knew that except for me. Cause he had told me. So then, you know, it was, it was all in the book. The question was, you know, to the publisher was like, we'll just save it for, for the book when, when the release comes, because generally excerpts drop a week or two before a publication date, you know, you kind of want this, the maximum energy around when people can actually go into a bookstore and buy the book. But I just felt like the game was at such a crossroads and the entire world order of professional golf was at stake here. And I, you know, again, what does Phil want? I had the answers. And so I pushed really hard. I said, we got to, this is like, now's the time to put this out there. Like we, we owe it to the readers, to the stakeholders in the game. And it was a little battle with Simon Schuster. Ultimately they said, fine, do it. And, um, you know, so there was, that was, I don't know, it was probably almost 3000 word excerpt. There was, there was a lot of context about the Saudis and, you know, for sure. I knew that his, it was going to create controversy, but, and other people, at that point had read the manuscript um, people, you know, in the game who are other writers, people I respect, no one had actually flashed on that Saudi stuff as the most controversial bits. Like not a single person said, wow, this Saudi stuff is going to be huge. And like, cause if you read the whole book, you can sort of feel it's in the context of who Phil is and you can kind of feel it coming in some ways and all these other battles he's had with the tour and the USGA and sort of this midlife crisis where he's mixed up in all these controversies, whether it's, it's Tom Watson um, or it's Shinnecock Hills or it's insider trading. Like this is all happening in a row, but you know, with the excerpt kind of, you lose some of that context and um, you know, Phil's talked his way out of so many controversies. I expected this to be a two or three day story and he would say all the right things in a press conference and would kind of go away. Like I never imagined it would send him into exile the way it did. And so, so the excerpt dropped and then, you know, the, um, it's all played out since then, but 
it's interesting because I've gone back to those people who, who had already read it. And I said, did you ever see this coming? Like, no, I didn't. But, you know, they had the hindsight of, or they had the benefit of having read the whole book. And now as the book is out in the wild, the, the comment I've gotten a lot, which is gratifying is that people are like, Oh, it's very fair balanced. I think, you know, you, you, you have the, the goods in there, the bad and everything in between. And that was, that was my, always my intention. And that was really important to me. But, um, Again, when the excerpt dropped, people didn't have the whole book in front of them. So I think that even created more energy around his words, which were certainly, uh, you know, startling. Yeah. You know, you've done a million of these interviews uh, and we appreciate you being here today. And I listened to a few of them. And one of them was, um, I think, Jay Delsing um, and on this topic. And you said uh, what Phil said uh, with the expert excerpt that came out, it needed to be in the public domain as, as soon as possible. Um, and I heard that and I thought, well, you know, it came out three months after he said it. And, and you just said kind of what you said on Jay's show where, you know, golf is at this major crossroads and you have this missing piece of the puzzle. Um, and why did you wait three months to release what he said, if it was so important? Well, I had to finish the book and then my editor had to read it. You know, there was, and more than that, it was still in November. It wasn't really clear how serious this Saudi thing was going to be. Like what they'd been bubbling for a year, were they ever going to announce, were there ever going to be names attached? Um, and it really, the momentum accelerated when the, the new golf season, you know, in January on the West coast swing, that's when it was getting serious offers were being made. Players were making commitments. So the whole landscape was, was changing. That wasn't really the case in November when we had that conversation. And so I, I needed more time to kind of assess the whole situation and I needed my editor to read the book and we had to have those conversations. So, um, you know, it just wasn't, we weren't ready to do it, you know, thanks, you know, Thanksgiving week, it was just too soon. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the whole conversation was in the context of the book. So I, I had to, you know, ultimately I had to go to the editor and get their feedback and these things just take time. Got, got it. Um, you know, on, you know, you talk about Phil being pretty savvy with the media and very uh, image conscious. Is that maybe a fair way to say it? Um, I think, yeah, you, I think so. you, know, you kind of write that in the book and you gave a number of examples throughout the book where uh, Phil was, you know, this is off the record. Um, he even one example where he says that Mike on and, and, I forget who it was. They said, no, it's not on. And he made him unplug it Yeah, Jerry uh, to Polk. kind of show you know, how, yeah. how savvy he is. And there's, there's some controversy uh, around um, those comments. And, and Phil said they were off the record and taken out of context. And um, you have written that. Um, I think you said he besmirched your professional reputation. Um, and so I find it interesting that Phil, you know, who's so savvy with the media examples of him doing stuff off the record and asking for things to be off the record and didn't you you say he didn't have this off the record and i've asked you about this before um you have it on audio i assume like releasing the audio would just completely clear everything up and you know here's 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 the audio of what happened would, would you ever release that conversation I wish I had the audio. I was just taking notes on my computer as we were talking. So there, there is an audio that that's, that would have been great. I, I wish I had it. You know, like I said, I thought this was gonna be this boring conversation about NFTs and, and media rights. So um, 
it wasn't it wasn't recorded i was speaking i'm just typing in my laptop just how i do most of my interviews so um that that would be an elegant solution because then you know i i wish i wish i had it put it that way got it well um i know you re when you interviewed me you recorded our call um, and I am certainly not as uh, anywhere near Lou, a figure come of what on, Phil is. <laughs> and and you weren't writing a book on me. At your club, bro. Nobody Don't will ever write a book on me. So I, I find it interesting that you didn't record that particular call. Um, well, he's driving, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess. Alan, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Are yeah you, I mean, it was just. I, yeah, I wish I wish I had. I mean, it was just one of those things. Like, I didn't know he was going to call me. He just called me, and it was like he said, "Okay, I'll reach out to you." It just was like unexpected, and it was just bang, just jumped right in. So, so, so do you Alan, think Phil? Do you, sorry, go on, Greg. Go no, on, Greg. I was just going to say, Alan. I know, I know, you're not a week to week beat writer. I know you do. You've got serious, big, big picture stuff you write. But I, you know, in my you know career, I've always built relationships with press people. Are you worried about? anything in the future with players relationship wise that because we all talk and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, as well as Phil manages things, I'm, 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 I think two things can be right. I think you can be right. So yes, it was on the record. And I think Phil was sharing something personally, my opinion that he thought was going to stay out of the public domain because he manages his image very, very well. Um, I'm wondering, are you at all worried that other players would be like, Hey, I'm, I ain't talking to that dude. I was, but I'm not anymore because I've been out on tour a lot since then. And um, the, the reaction from other players has been very positive. And even, even in the immediate aftermath, I was just getting texts and DMs from players and, um, and agents and other people in the game. And like the sentiment that kept getting expressed was, you know, thank you for showing the world what Phil is really like. And, you know, thank you for putting all the cards on the table with all the Saudi stuff. And I was, I was relieved because I, I was worried about that for sure. And, um, you know, since then I've been at the Masters, I've been at the PGA Championship, and I'm, I've interacted with a bunch of players. And, you know, there's been a few smirks and whatever, but, I mean, everyone's talked to me and everyone's been, um, you know, they'll pull me aside. Like, so they want, they want like the, tell me about this, or why don't you use this? Or like, you know, they want like the down, they want the down low. So it's been, um, it's been a pleasant surprise because, yeah, that was obviously a concern. Um, but you know, I've been out here since 94. And so, um, you know, I've, no one's ever accused me of anything like this. I've, I've built a lot of personal relationships. So I guess, I think a lot of people saw Phil's, you know, it, it was as a, just a transparent attempt to wiggle out of a jam, you know, it's like, just blame the reporter instead of taking ownership of, of the words. And, um, so a comment I've gotten a lot is, oh, you know, something to the fact like, uh, I was, I was going to use a profanity, but I can't, I can't do that. I don't want to get, I don't want to, I don't want to send Mark into the edit room, but you know, that uh, that's just Phil trying to, you know, like BS his way out of things. And, you know, I, I think people saw his statement as kind of a bad faith, um, you know, effort at damage control. So, um, you know, I've been, I've been out, yeah, I've been out at the majors since then and it's been it's been totally fine so yeah it's, it's yeah. not it's no longer concerned but initially yeah i was i was definitely unhappy about it and um well i mean like you said greg like it is contextual because if you know when we stop press and record if, if you and i are, are are just talking about uh did you hear the latest gossip about you know the saudi event like we're just kind of two guys talking. It's not an official interview. And you might say something that you don't want me to actually put out in public. Um, you have to make that call all the time as a reporter. And, 
you know, maybe I'd say, Oh, that's interesting. Can I quote you on it? Like there's, there's ways that you can, you can, you can do that. I would say in this Phil scenario, I mean, I've gone to him three times and asked him to consent to interviews for the book. He's reaching out to me now, like in that scenario, every single thing he tells me is going directly in the book, unless we agree otherwise, you know, and going off the record is a consensual thing. Like, um, and if, you know, again, if he'd asked, I would have been very hesitant to, to grant that because this is my one chance to talk to him, but he just never did. Now, when he picked up the phone, did he mean to tell me all those things? I, I don't know that, you know, did he get carried away and go a little farther than he wanted to? And did, did he get a little worked up and emotional and use language that he, he otherwise would not have? Maybe, but you know, to me, that's on Phil. I'm, I don't, I'm not here to babysit him or to, um, you know, be his referee. Like he knows I'm writing a book about him. He called me. And if, if he wants to talk off the record, then, then let, let's make that very clear. And even, you know, it's also, there's a funny bit in this where when, you know, he tells me that himself and, and three other guys have, have paid for these attorneys to write the, the Saudi operating agreement. And I asked him the names. And he's like, Oh, I, I can't tell you that. Well, if we were truly off the record, you could have just told me because I couldn't use it. Right. Like you can't go double off the record or off, <laughs> off the record. Like if we were speaking off the record, you could have just told me the names. Like to me, that's kind of a, like a tell, but you know, he, he wouldn't do it. And that right. leads me to believe that everything else we were talking about, he, he knew was, was for public consumption. So, um, you know, that, that's a, a subtlety that's kind of been lost, but um, you know, does, would if given a chance, would Phil rephrase things? I'm sure he would. But again, like this is this is my one shot to, to get him, and um, that's what he said, and um, that's all. That's all, all I can stand by is it's the truth. So, yeah. Do do you think he, uh, you know, is accomplishing some of the goals that he set out to accomplish? So he he talked about he's trying to to get leverage and make change, and if you look at the things that have transpired. Um, I don't know if we can directly say it's the result of, of live and super golf league, but we have PIP there's uh, tour players now get 50 K if they play in 15 events, they just get a check. Um, we have uh, bigger purses. We'll, we'll have the team events in the fall, whatever that is going to mean and digital assets now. So is this in some ways similar to like what happened with the Ryder cup? You wrote about it in the book where, you know, he said those things and it triggered a lot of change. It wasn't popular. It didn't go over well, but it, it made change. And you've talked about this in some of the other interviews. Like, where do you stand on that now? Is he accomplishing what he said he wanted to accomplish? Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the, well, I mean, tragedy is not the right word, but it's one of the ironies in all this is that, yeah, Phil is getting things done. You know, he wanted the, the NFT platform that the tour hastily put together. You know, that, that was one of Phil's big issues um, for sure other people were having similar conversations. You can't say he gets all the credit, but he gets some of it. And, you know, the tour found a hundred million dollars for the players this year that they weren't going to get through bonus programs and the PIP and purse increases. Like, you know, Phil's advocacy was working. There's no question. And yeah. um, so that, that's, that's one of, that's one of the bitter ironies for Phil is that is like, if he had just kind of kept going, he may have gotten everything he wanted, but um I, you know, it, it's also, it, there's been, I was talking to a player agent at, at Southern Hills and he, he came back to this point, like the, the tour pumping hundred million dollars to the players 
instead of buying them the goodwill they wanted actually just made a lot of players more upset. It's like, well, you've had this money and just now you're giving it to us. Like we've always asked for transparency and to open the books and only because there's the, the Saudis in the picture. Now you're going to find this money. You know, what about the year before and the year before and the year before? And so, um, you know, I, was, I believe that's called leverage, Alan, that he talked about. Yeah. Leverage. No question. <laughs> it is leverage. And but, so on that topic, I, I transparency is also one of Phil's things. Like he's, you know, where is the money going? Like he, he feels like the players have never gotten a full accounting of, of where the money's going and how much is really there. And so um, the tour in some ways is proving his points as, as this thing plays out. Yeah, it's interesting. So and, and, uh, I think this was also on Jay Delsing's show. You talk about you were casually texting with a, a longtime tour player and the around the reason that Phil got backlash and, and the reason Tiger never got backlash for all the things that he went through. And, and, and I found it interesting that this tour player said Tiger put money in players' pockets, which is 100% true. We, we can look back and we can see the explosion in purses on the PGA Tour after Tiger came on the scene. Uh, but the reason Phil was getting backlash is because he's taking money out of the players' pockets. But you look at all of the th- things that um, have happened. And as you just said, Phil, you know, he doesn't get all the credit, but he certainly helped push things along. So I find it odd that a player would think that Phil was trying to take money out of their pockets. I mean, I can you so, maybe have more context because you were having yeah, a conversation. So this guy, so this guy is not a top 20 player. He's probably, you know, lives in the fifties the of the money list, say 50 to 75. So he's not getting the, the PIP money. He's not getting the Wyndham rewards money. He's not getting that much FedEx cut money. So in, in, in his, the way he's explaining it is, and with some of my interpretation, if the Saudi league succeeds and they start getting TV money and they start attracting, you know, the BMWs and the American Expresses and as as sponsors, that's money that's getting siphoned from the PGA Tour, and the PGA Tour purses are going to shrink. And if they're taking stars and they're taking young talent, the Saudis are. That's going to have a negative impact on the PGA Tour, and that's going to be felt by the players. So, sort of the middle class tour player. Now, Phil, what, what Phil is accomplishing will help the top stars because they can get the PIP money and they potentially could get invited to play, um, you know, some of these Saudi events. But if you're if you're a guy who's just kind of a rank and file tour member, those those things are mostly out of touch for you. And you're seeing that Phil has helped create a competitor to your home tour. And um, and that 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 could have a real negative impact on your finances if the Saudi thing succeeds and becomes a big deal. Well, I could, but that rank and file member will get 50K. They're playing for bigger purses and digital assets as well. So, you know, maybe they won't be involved in the PIP and they won't be involved in team events, but those other three things, they are certainly going to benefit from for sure. That's they also not to, not, not to say like you've got to sort of mount, if you're going to mount a statue to the negatives, you've got to build a little tiny statue for what Phil's done. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's and, not just one guy driving the TV rights. You know, Phil Phil's done his bit by a long way. So absolutely. I think I think rank and file need to probably remember that bit too. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And it could also be, you know, there people are are don't want to give Phil the credit he deserves for affecting some of these changes. So they're like, oh well, Phil didn't Phil's not the reason that because of the PIP, that's because of, you know they may be loath to give him the credit that he actually deserves for any number of reasons. Well, there's no way the tour would ever say that's the reason why. That would no, say it's been on the books for ages. I, I, yeah. I just know how they think. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. 
I got I got to ask and you you talked about writing a, a one I I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed the stories in there. Um some of them were great and you talked about trying to write this as fair and balanced as you can and I have to ask about a couple of the things. Um and I don't know if they were just like inside jokes between you and Phil or or whatever it was, but it some of them seem like maybe a couple of pot shots. And I don't know if if they were just in jest, but like the one that really stands out to me is you were talking about how generous he was and how much money he carried on him, how much cash, and it's great, you know, for taking care of people. And then you put in this line, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something about, you know, not acknowledging that that fat stack of cash is also good for paying off gambling debts. It seemed like a little bit of a dig, like, and I was just, and there's a few digs in there. Uh, and I was just didn't know if it's your sense of humor or, or what that was. Well, I think that's just being real. I mean, Phil carries around $10,000 in cash regularly. And I mean, I don't, if you're generous with the valets and, and other people like that, um, I don't think you need that much. <laughs> like that's a you lot don't of do that. I do that all the time. Everybody <laughs> does that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, you just, it's just a PGA tour thing, Greg, isn't it? <laughs> it's just like, they give you that when you, when you, when you drop your car for ballet, that is a one. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let, let's be real. Like I, I, he does, he is generous with people in the service industry, but you don't need, you don't need $8,500 for that. I mean, what else you could do with that money? I don't know. Um, I mean, his, Phil's comments, I thought were really interesting. I don't know if you saw him yesterday where, um, to Bob Herring, um, where he used the word addiction, you know, talking about his gambling. I think that that was a big statement. And I think if you read the book, it's pretty obvious, but for Phil to actually say it and to say, you know, it's, it's been years of counseling, like, you know, the guy had a gambling addiction and I think it was a huge force in his life. And so I think it's fair to say that um, all that cash is carrying around wasn't just for tipping valets. Do you, and we know you have a, a time stop here. The last thing I wanted to ask you is, do you, do you think there's going to be more to the story? Do you, do you think there's going to be, like what happens? We're at this kind of crazy crossroads in golf, as you talked about. What what do you think is next for Phil? Like, how does this shake out a year from now, two years from now? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he had to pick a side and he picked the Saudis. So, um, you know, there's nine, nine figures worth of, of, of dollars on the table for him. And, um, you know, it's we don't know exactly how much he needs the money, but he clearly wanted it. Um, but he, there's also the element of he wants to be right. And, you know, he wants to be seen as this agent of change. And if he'd, if he'd walked away entirely from the Saudi effort, it, that would have looked like a political defeat. And, you know, Phil's a very strident kind of self-righteous personality. So he picked his side. Now, um, is he's possibly threatening, you know, being the Ryder Cup captain, one of the great honors in the game, which he was certainly going to be soon. Um you know, is, is the backlash such he's not going to be in the TV tower next to Jim Nance. You know, that was something that was available to him if he wanted it. You know, these are plum positions that kind of cement your status as a beloved elder statesman. So um, it's a risk, but, you know, you, the modern PJ tour was born of rebellion. You know, everyone knows that uh, Nicholas and Palmer led this insurrection in 1968 and it didn't, didn't besmirch their reputation at all. Now, of course, they weren't taking Saudi money. That's really the X factor in all of this. Um, but um, if, you know, this may be a victory for fans. If these Saudi tournaments turn out to be good and they've got all these ideas for new formats and they're clearly open to new thinking, maybe it'll be succeed as an entertainment product. You know, the PGA Tour has gotten very stale because it never had competition. 
it's just 72 holes of stroke play on week after week on a lot of boring golf courses and the TV product is, is lacking the, the, the tour social media offerings are terrible. So finally having competition, maybe the tour is going to, is going to really address these shortcomings and, and maybe Phil's going to be celebrated. Like maybe Phil saves golf because uh, he forces the PGA tour to do things in a totally different way. And I, I could see a scenario where these Saudi events get absorbed into a larger global schedule that's managed by the strategic alliance of the PGA and European tour events. And maybe we get some really good tournaments in November and December that we've never really had and, um, and year round golf. And I mean, how this plays out, it could burnish Phil's legacy potentially. And there's, there's probably a court case coming and it could very well be that the tour members are going to be allowed to play these Saudi events in some capacity. And then, and that's what all the players want, right, Greg? Like ideally you keep your tour membership, you get, you keep all the retirement, you keep the FedEx cup bonuses and all these other things. And you can cherry pick these huge money Saudi events. I think that's a dream scenario for the players. And so Phil may get all these things that he wants and he may be celebrated for it, but um, if he gets cast out and if the majors close ranks and, and he doesn't get to play in any more masters or PGA championships or British opens. And if the Saudi tour is a complete dud and goes out of business in a couple of years um, that his, his legacy and his reputation is going to take a hit. So we don't, we don't really know how it's going to play out yet, but he's, you know, once again, he's put his neck on the chopping block and, um, you, you could admire his courage or you could, you could, uh, you could be befuddled by his, uh, by his decision-making, but he's chosen this path. And so now we're just going to have to see how it plays out. It's way too soon to know, but I don't think he's destroyed his legacy by any means, but he's, he's complicated it in, in ways that we don't yet know. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think we just got, when we teased the pod, we just got our expert excerpt. Um, Alan Shipnuck says, Phil saves golf. Just a couple of quick questions. So I know yeah. you've got to go. Um, uh, first point, I don't think golf needs saving. Uh, I know you probably didn't mean it like that. I, I think golf's doing fine. But um, can I, this one, I can't work this one out in my head. And I, I don't I hope this doesn't come across as rude. I just want to get my head around it. Why do you only refer to it as the Saudis? Because you mentioned the European tour which isn't called that anymore, but you didn't, right. that's the DP world tour. You don't call that the Dubai tour. And you called it, you, you give the PGA tour the right of its name. Like you respect it enough to say what it is. You don't say it's the FedEx sponsored or it's the, you know, played in America tour, which is, which backs the Saudis when it comes to selling X, Y, or Z. I can't work out why you call it the Saudis and I'm not being rude. It might be just because that's what you call it, but I don't. Well, I mean, for it, most of it, it's got such a negative it it just cut it, it it's not what it's called it's called the live tour is I it don't live or is it liv i thought it was supposed to be liv either all works but it's definitely not called the sound people don't even I know just, i just want to understand that that concept like there's certain terms in the uk when it comes to referring to certainly countries that we would never ever use that maybe other countries still use because we we think it's a bit offensive um i just don't understand why you call it you've only referenced it as saudis i, I just want to get context to that just really quickly i don't mean to be rude I, i'm not i just well, for, it. for most of its discussion it was called the saudi golf league that's that's what it just was and then it got rebranded as live or liv which no one even knows how to pronounce it or what it means. What does it mean? What is the live tour? What does live? It means for? 54 holes. I think if you do the Roman numerals, doesn't it? I think it means 54 holes. It relates to 54. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a dumb name, but I mean, the, 
if you well, read the PGA the book, Tour is a great name, is it? <laughs> like the disrespect. I mean, I can't. I'm sorry, but well, PGA has, it has a sorry, meaning. Sorry, just Professional can Golfers I, Association. The disrespect of the way you throw it. That like it's. Yeah, I find it hard. I find it challenging that 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 they can be so disrespectful to. I'm not. I'm, so not, who, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Who, who's live? Who am I disrespecting? Well, it, it's a brand, isn't it? it? It's a it's a tour that's trying to get established. I mean, I'm not. I'm not in any way. I'm not defending Saudi Arabia, but you can't ignore that your government, our government, you Saudi Arabia. I mean, your government literally talked to them recently because you need more oil because you're all upset that you're paying too much for gas. But so it's all right to talk to them then, and we don't. You probably wouldn't phone them up going, "Can I speak to the Saudis?" Because it would be classed as rude. I'm just trying to get context to why you're happy to call it. Just can't you, you, you're happy. You've not mentioned live once up until this, and I find that weird. Well, if you, if you if you go through the book carefully, you'll see that I call it the I'm San Diego. I don't mean the book. I mean tonight. Sorry, I'm just meaning I, the conversation. I'm, I'm adding the context you want. If you read the mm. book, I call it the San Diego Open instead of the corporate name. I call it Los Angeles Open, the Crosby Clam Bake, because corporate names are soulless and they change over time. So I call it the dinosaur. It's not the ANA inspiration or whatever it is. You know, these, yeah, these you names change. The PGA tour and you just referenced the European tour in the same sentence, but everything was Saudis. But it's fine. I, I it's not a problem. It's of it to me, it means more than it does to you. And that's I respect that and that's fine. Yeah. I just so you know to me, live is just a clunky corporate title. It's really it's the Saudi tour. They're the ones who are putting it on, they're funding it. It was their idea. The grand finales in Saudi Arabia, like that's what it is. The European tour, they played in Europe. It's called the DP World Tour. Alan, I should have warned you that this pushes Mark's buttons. So <laughs> I'm just telling it's, you, it's I mean, it's not called the European Tour anymore. It's called DP World Tour. Well, that's tour, also sad. I, I still call it the European Tour. So on your also, side, so you're I disrespecting that. Yeah, you're I disrespecting agree. the Dubai. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I'm I'm right, Alan. I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I'm the answer to everything here. I'm, 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 I respect what you're saying. Well, and if, I'm, you're called, I'm if you call it the European tour, you're, we're agreeing with each other. I call it the yeah, Saudi well, tour. I, I do want to state that I haven't got that much respect for the name change of the DP World Tour from European tour, purely because it just, I've grown up as it being the European tour. It has different, it, it has very different connotations of why I call it the European tour. Because I call it the European tour because I remember Seve Faldo, Lyle Langer playing on it, grew up loving watching it. So yeah. to me, it's a romantic, it's not a negative connotation it's a romantic thing for me i will call it the dp world tour if i was doing work for the dp world tour but in my head it's still the european tour but i understand it's the, the, the but i agree i mean it's fine you i'm not you call it what you want to call it i I'm just trying to get context to why you were saying that but it, it's fine um i got one last question if you've got two seconds just it's like an almost like a yes or no question you got okay, two seconds it. for the last question sure um do you feel phil was thrown under the bus a little bit at the end like did it all go or did he just get what he deserved because obviously it was a big crash out did he just get what he deserved because obviously there was a lot of media hype or was he a little bit chucked under the bus uh, when when all that obviously the statement hit and what have you well, that's more than a yes or no question. I mean, okay, I think... not, that's not fair. You haven't got time. I want you to give it a fair <laughs> I, answer. I don't want to ask. One yeah, thing. I mean, that, that's a that's a that's a nuanced answer. I mean, yeah. I think, I think that Phil, you know, because he'd been playing fast and loose for a long time with all these controversies, and he'd wiggled out of all of them. I mean, 
I think that there was there was an element of it finally caught up with him that he had just exhausted people's patience <laughs> for his his maneuvering and for his his slipperiness. And so in that in that regard, maybe he got what he deserved in people's minds. I think there is an as we're talking about elements of hypocrisy, yes. I mean, like UPS has just dropped these guys for playing in the live tour events. But hey, <laughs> but they're they'll still do. But if I want to send a, a package to someone in Saudi Arabia, you can still send it by UPS. They'll still do yeah, business yeah. over there. They're just going to make yeah. this grand public gesture. Um, and you know, nobody's mad at these other players. You know, no one's really cares that Ricky Fowler or Louis Tyson's going over to play to take the Saudi money. But you know, Mr. Phil, Nicholas build a golf yeah, course over there. Yeah, He's Nicholas on their website, it, of course. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of inconsistencies, as as you say, as you point out, and um, so uh, you know, Phil, in that regard, he he took he's kind of paying for other people's sins, and um, that that's part of what's interesting here. But um, you know, no one made Phil Mickelson collude with the Saudis and negotiate in secret to to build a rival to the PGA Tour, which has been his home for thirty plus years. So in that regard, it was. It was free choice, and but people do that all the time, though, don't they? I mean, people people leave jobs. I, I mean, I'm I'm sure you started to work on Fire Pit before you left your last job, right? Mm, so people really. do that all the time. But people definitely do that all the time. That's a that's a normal. Oh yeah, thing for sure. But again, the Fire Pit's not funded by an <laughs> oppressive regime that you know executes people in the town square and you know supply 9-11 hijackers and assassinate a washington post journalist like there's a toxicity to the saudi arabian involvement here that you can't deny so yeah, yeah. we don't deny oh we yeah we don't deny. we've talked yeah. openly at no point yeah. have so, we tried yeah, to pe deny people change jobs all the time sure we acknowledge that it's not good you know it's it's a little different um and um so yeah there's again phil he he created the situation, but I think the backlash was fueled by a lot of other factors. And he just happened to be the guy who was out there publicly. And so he had, he, he took, he took the hit when a lot of other people were staying in the shadows. So I'm sure that's something that bothers him to this day. I mean, the, um, that a lot of people can go into the, the European tour event in Saudi Arabia and, and taking money from them. Why is, why is he being singled out? But the um, biggest, the biggest deal always takes the biggest hit. That's it. He's the you biggest know, name. He, he, the biggest deal always takes the biggest hit. It's not yeah. fair in, in yeah, a sense. It's not is. fair in my opinion, but yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely yeah. the biggest deal and he's definitely taking the biggest hit. Yeah. Oh, that's well said. Yeah. There we go. Well, thanks for your time, Alan. Um, and um, he did say the lip tour there guys i got him to say it <laughs> you guys came to some kind of peace treaty there so i would advise anyone listening go and read the book go and buy the book go and read the book and make your own decisions i certainly enjoyed it i found some of it challenging but i'm not the best golf book fan if you're a golf fan lou loved the golf stories i found the golf stories a bit painful personally because it's my job i i don't i'm not that romantic about it but lou you definitely helped me understand that you love lots yeah, of stories golf, i love golf as stories a golf fan, you so, will love that there's great um, you most of them so for me yeah. it was like yeah um, greg uh, yeah. as well i mean he's uh, living okay. it so it's not so <laughs> much the story. most of them what's the best shout out alan for people to go and get the book where do they go where how can they get it come on give it a shout out well, ideally your local independent bookstore, but um, right. it's certainly available at, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and anywhere you buy books. And if people are in the United Kingdom, um, yeah. 
the you can right now you can get the or even Australia, South Africa, you can get the ebook or you can get the audio version and they're printing the hardbacks and those will be available I think next week maybe. So they've had, to, they've had to show a little patience, but it's coming. Excellent. Well, there you go. Thanks for your time, Alan. That was a really Thank you, fun Alan. podcast. All right. Thank Thanks, you, guys. For Thank your you. questions, as always. Um, let us know what you think. If you do read the book, let us know if you get the book and tell us what you think. And we can't wait to uh, chat to you in the next podcast.